when somebody comes to you and needs support and it has to do with you, as in you hurt me or you let me down or I needed you the other day and you were absent. For many people, feeling that they have hurt somebody triggers tremendous shame. And the result of that is that people can shut down because one of the hallmarks of shame is silence. Because, like I said earlier, shame, at least when it is thought or when it is a view of oneself, destroys the being. I am bad. And if I am bad, then who is the I who can receive and support? Welcome to the Dignity of Suffering. Have you ever been brought to your knees by the challenges of life? What if you could enter the world of the therapist, be a fly on the wall, and hear their stories and insights into life's biggest challenges? Discovering a place to learn from the experiences of others who've tried to find dignity in their suffering. Each week, Mitchell Smolkin takes a candid look at the trials and tribulations of being alive. Mitchell is a registered psychotherapist, author and speaker. He hopes to show that slowing down and becoming curious about our human experience can enrich our perspectives and plant our feet more firmly on the ground. Now, here's Mitchell. Welcome to episode 28. As many of you who listen to the podcast know, I just came off of a really intense creative journey with some colleagues and friends from a number of different countries, Argentina, Canada, Switzerland, and we all met in Sweden to work on a project which is tentatively called the Boris Project or Boris's Map. We explored material that goes back to the 1940s during World War II, letters that were written by my great-grandmother to my grandfather. And unbeknownst to my great-grandmother, these would be the last letters that she ever wrote to him. To be honest with you, the energy required to go through this material took me to the core of my being, but it also left me bereft of a lot of creative energy because I gave it everything I had. And over the last 72 hours or so, I was seriously thinking about pausing the podcast just to recoup and to collect my creative energies. But after speaking with my producer, Danny Osman, my assistant, Ambibola, some other people that collaborate with me to help support the podcast, and also hearing from you as recently as this morning in my office, hearing that people listen to the podcast, connect with it, 
And in very interesting ways, it seems to come back and reflect back to me. I'm going to sort of consider this chapter two and maybe change the format a little bit and focus in on areas that are very close to my heart. And today I would like to focus on shame. And as a close friend recently told me who very lovingly listens to the podcast, for him, the way that I've talked about shame before on this podcast is very foreign. And that makes sense to me because how we experience others and ourselves and the world is very specific to the individual. At the same time, and today in my work was a great example of just how difficult certain feeling states can be to survive. Nothing for me is more powerful than being with people when they take the risk to articulate profoundly difficult emotions. And I think that one of the most difficult things about negative feeling states, such as shame and guilt and humiliation, is that we want to move as far away from feeling this way as we can. And the reason that this is such a focus of mine is because I believe very strongly in human relationships. I know, personally and professionally, what it means for people to be able to stay in their own bodies, to have language for how they feel, and to be able to communicate that to somebody else, particularly if that other person is someone that they are close to. I spent hours today in my office with many beautiful souls, brave individuals who on multiple occasions throughout the day today dug so deep to talk about how broken they feel. And I don't mean perpetually broken. These are people that go to work, <laughs> have kids, are enjoying life. No, no, no. This isn't a kind of brokenness that arrests people in their tracks. No, I'm referring to setting a very high bar when it comes to the level at which we connect with other people. So over the next three podcasts or so, I would like to open up and talk to you about what it means to put language to some of the most hard emotions that human beings 
have to face. And my personal opinion about why it is so difficult in general, as I mentioned before, there are massive cultural and generational differences around how we process emotion. But I have to say that working with people from literally around the world, from Malaysia to the southern United States to India to Russia, there is a universality that I think has to do with the ways that some of our basic emotions, such as shame, represent mortality, represent nothingness. And the human brain, especially its most evolved parts, the neocortex, the seat of our ability to handle and express sophisticated symbolic material, metaphors, highly abstract thinking. The human brain relishes when we can make sense out of the world and ourselves. In many ways, that is the reason that we have evolved in the way that we have with respect to a burgeoning self-awareness that in modern times is represented by a reflexivity that we see even in me doing this podcast and talking about basic emotions. This is a meta theoretical and meta-psychological process that has a biological correlate, meaning in the same way that our teeth evolve based on our diet and what we eat, the physiology of our brains evolve as our own reflection as human beings expands. And of course, we're living now at a time when more and more human beings are entering space now on a weekly basis. And I use that particular example because there's a great essay by a German philosopher, Wolfgang Giegrich, called The End of Meaning and the Birth of Man, where he uses the metaphor of the astronaut who can look down on Earth in the way that we have shattered, in many cases, our historical place of feeling kind of consumed by mythology, religion, and other kinds of projections 
that were and continue to be attempts at understanding ourselves and the world. And that is one of the reasons that we rigidly hang on to perspectives and views of ourselves because it gives us order. Shame, shame defined as I am bad, I am wrong, versus guilt, which is I have done something wrong. Shame attacks the very container of the human being. So, for instance, in relationships, when somebody is carrying a high degree of shame, as in, I am bad, it can make it very difficult for that person to receive kindness, care, because they don't feel like they deserve it. And many of you who are listening to this podcast, that sensation may echo with you when, when someone compliments you or you know, really tries to tell you how valuable you are if you have a kind of adverse reaction to it. It may be an indication that you're carrying shame. Conversely, when somebody comes to you and needs support, and it has to do with you, as in, you hurt me, or you let me down, or I needed you the other day and you were absent. For many people, feeling that they have hurt somebody triggers tremendous shame. And the result of that is that people can shut down because one of the hallmarks of shame is silence. Because, like I said earlier, shame, at least when it is thought or when it is a view of oneself, destroys the being. I am bad. And if I am bad, then who is the I who can receive and support? Somebody opened up today and talked about how they deserved punishment. They deserved to be humiliated and punished for what they had done. And I had to find a way for them to openly talk about this way that they viewed themselves. And one of the issues when it comes to very difficult negative feeling states is that we want to, number one, push them away at all costs, but number two, when someone else talks about them or expresses them, we can often have a knee-jerk reaction to fix it. To say, no, you're not that way, right? How many times has a friend maybe opened up and expressed that they don't think much of themselves or they don't think their life is going well? And, and of course, the friendly thing to do is to say, no, look at your life. Look at all that you have. But it's a bit of a conundrum because, as we know, 
if it was just as easy to just tell somebody that they were great and special and shame would go away, well then, well, I'd be out of a job for starters <laughs> because we would just have this very easy way of, of healing. But that's not what it looks like. As somebody else said today, actually one of my interns today said, wow, it must be really hard to change these core views that people have of themselves that I have and had of myself. You know, we all know what it takes to to shift. And it's true what she said. It's very difficult. But I think that one way that I have found and that I have seen can begin to make a difference is for us not to shy away from embodied expression of who we are and what we feel. And what I mean by that, I don't mean a kind of superficial authenticity as in, oh, we always have to be able to talk about how we feel and let others in. And I don't mean to become somewhat facetious in my tone there. I guess what I'm commenting on is a kind of pervasive attitude right now that I have come across many times, which talks about a kind of radical authenticity. And that simply isn't possible. It's not possible to always be authentic. And I think that it often sets people up to fail because we know that human beings are constantly masquerading and translating and needing to contain certain feeling states. What I'm sharing with you in my professional work is a kind of attitude towards our feeling states, such as shame, that brings a dignity to who we are and therefore allows us to go deeper into how we feel. So for instance, rather than some kind of wild goose chase to rid ourselves of particular ways that we think or feel, what we know about emotions is that they are not dangerous. The way that we think and feel about emotions can be dangerous. For instance, the cliche that one shouldn't cry or one shouldn't feel a certain way about something. And of course, this is a subject for another podcast, but all, all the ways that a kind of chronic misattunement, for instance, with a caregiver might lead someone to have a very distorted and negative view of their own emotional states. But that has nothing to do with the emotional state itself. So to say it another way, often when we have a reaction to something or a feeling about something, what can get in the way are our views about ourselves in that moment. 
I think a classic example, of course, is when somebody dies and maybe there's a pervasive shame around crying or grieving too much. And so the human being doesn't allow themselves to feel the depth of their sorrow because the culture or the environment carries a degree of shame and paranoia around strong emotion. And then, of course, as we know throughout the lifespan, these unresolved emotions will come out in other moments of grieving. And of course, that's also human, right? There's no proper way to get over somebody. And often it takes many different iterations in our life to get to know how we feel. But when it comes to basic feeling states, such as feeling ashamed about something, part of the issue that makes it so difficult to soften those views is that we tend to keep those things very hidden. And this gets to a topic that I talk about very often on this podcast, which is how our drive towards civility, towards the personas that we maintain in friendships and at work and even in our relationships, those can be very strong ways that we avoid disclosing or opening up about who we are and how we feel. And the more that we feel that we have to hide sensitive and negative emotions, the more that they can build up inside of us and wreak havoc on safe and productive relationships. And so as many of my clients often tell me, it's counterintuitive to take the risk to disclose very painful feeling states like shame, because so many people are ashamed of their shame. <laughs> right? I shouldn't feel this way. I should feel good about myself. I should be like you because you look happy and you look okay and successful. And therefore, I don't want to betray the fact that I feel small inside. And so we'll build all these crusty layers of persona and civility around parts of us that actually really do need human contact. And one of the only ways to get human contact is to crack the door open and let somebody in. And one of the only ways to do that is to directly talk and take a risk with somebody that you care about or that you know will have a safe, thoughtful response with is to dig deep and name or try to name things that we carry that don't normally see the light of day. So today's episode was really kind of a broad overview of some of the main reasons why difficult emotional states, and I know that I've been using emotion and feeling somewhat interchangeably in today's podcast, but Really, I think the definition of emotions as being 
these bodily experiences that we have that are basic and in our bodies versus feelings, which are the perceptions that we have about our emotions, is very, it's very important. Because it's the latter. It's the feelings and perceptions that we have about our emotions that can get in the way. They can also be very productive, right? If somebody, for instance, has a very positive relationship to their emotions, as in, hey, I, I'm, it's okay if I talk about this aspect of my life. The world is safe and others are there to support me. Well, then that, that could have a very progressive quality about it because it doesn't keep somebody stuck in a pattern of of holding and growing resentful. But I wanted to maybe just hover around this very important issue that I come across in my clinic all the time. And that feels like a tightrope act when I'm encouraging people to reveal and open up about places that otherwise they keep to themselves because that can breed a certain isolation and loneliness which just compounds things. So welcome to chapter two of the Dignity of Suffering podcast. I am going to spend the next while drilling down into specific areas of my clinical practice. I still hope to have guests on the podcasts once in a while to come up against and share their ideas. But I think I'm going to take the time to really convey to you particular aspects of what interests me in the field and to share my impressions and experiences day in and day out, being with people and really being inspired every day by their courage and wherewithal and hopefully by opening up about these experiences it will foster a dialogue please share the podcast if you haven't already written a review please do so on apple podcasts share it with your friends if you like it please write about it wherever you write if it's on social media or sending your friend a letter if people still do that these days <laughs> and Thank you for all of you that write and send your comments. You can find me on Instagram at I am Mitchell Smolkin. And if you go to MitchellSmolkin.com, you can support the podcast if that's something that appeals to you. It would be an amazing help. And uh, those that do support me, thank you very much for all that you do. I remain faithfully yours. <laughs>